Good morning. Welcome to Valley Lights Church. I'm glad to see you're all here today. Thank you for joining us. I wanted to make uh, one more comment about sports camp, which I'm really excited about. And uh, so, yeah, that starts tomorrow night. And we'll have, we're going to spend all evening together for those of you that are volunteering. They're actually, so those of you that are here in the room right now, you may be planning to volunteer. Maybe uh, you can help out one day or a couple days or there's a bunch of you that are planning to be there all five nights this week. And uh, whatever, whatever you're planning to contribute as a volunteer, I just want to let you know, I'm really, really grateful. And I'm really excited to work together. I'm excited to team together. And whenever, you know, when we did the, a camp like this a year and a half ago, there were some really special bonds that were created and formed when we just work on a big project like this together. So I'm, I'm really excited for us as a church draw closer together and I'm really excited to be on mission together to do something very missional as a, as a team one of my favorite verses is Acts 20 24 it says Paul writes he says I consider my life worth nothing to me my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace and so when I think about this big project that we're gonna dive into this week um, I think about Paul and how Paul didn't have a lot of concern for himself. Paul was very focused on the mission. And I think he probably, you know, would say, like, who, who cares about my life? Paul would say, who cares about my schedule when God's glorious kingdom is ahead of us? And so the event that we're, we're gonna about, about to do together, I think it's going to really help us accomplish our mission in a few ways. Sports camp helps us accomplish our mission because we get the chance to share the love and the message of Jesus with a lot of people that are far from God. Um, you'll be able to meet new people. Uh, perhaps if you're volunteering, you'll be able to meet new kids and new families and parents out on the fields. And then in the coming Sundays over the next few weeks, you may meet new people here on a Sunday morning that you've never met before that maybe their first contact was our sports camp. And so you'll have a chance to host them well and really host the guests well. And I also think that sports camp helps us accomplish our mission because God commands us as Christians to do good in the places where we live. Sports camp really is a way that we can pour ourselves out to be a blessing for the community that we live in. And so a lot of what we're planning to do this week, I think it really honors God. And um, as you serve, if you volunteer and serve in any way, keep your eyes focused on the people that God is going to be bringing to us. And uh, so let's, let's jump in our message today. My name is Bruce Wood, and if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you yet, I'd love to. I'm really glad that you're all here joining us. And wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if everyone lived in harmony? <laughs> Imagine a world with no road rage, with no bickering at home. Imagine a world with no social media arguments or insults online. The reality is there's a lot of conflict that you see or that you experience. And sometimes we are, we're the recipients, or maybe you could even say the targets of the anger of other people. And so when people attack us and insult us, when they call our character into question, or when we are hurt or offended or wronged, what do you do about that? What do you do when people mistreat you that way? There's a book in the Bible that teaches us what to do when this happens. And uh, over the past month, uh, about actually five Sundays, we, we've been walking through the New Testament letter, 1 Peter. It's a book of the Bible. 
Um, so we, we've called this message series Worst Case Scenarios because there's a bunch of things in First Peter that feel like the worst case scenario, things that there's things we're commanded to do that are very unpopular in the world's eyes. And so we're walking through this letter written by Peter, who's one of Jesus' closest followers, and we're learning how to respond when terrible, unexpected things happen. And so today, today in particular, we're looking at how to, if the worst case scenario, how to survive a wildfire. You might never be in a real wildfire, but fire is an ongoing metaphor throughout Peter's letter. And that, I think it's because whenever we deal with harmful people, people that, you know, you got friends or people that want to see good things happen to you. Enemies are people that want to see bad things happen to you. And so if you're, you may have some enemies in your life. You may have some things that if uh, something bad happens to you, they'd be like, that's good. I was hoping that would happen. And when, when you relate to people like that, sometimes it feels like a fiery trial. We take the heat. Sometimes we get damaged. Sometimes we get burned and scorched by other people. So that's why the Bible says, the big idea in this letter is that you ought to prepare to suffer unjust treatment from people in your life. That's an exciting thought to start out the week. Prepare to suffer. And uh, there's, actually, there's a good side of this. You'll see the good side in a second. But man, that doesn't, sound, that doesn't sound fun at all. Prepare to suffer from people in your life. The author of this letter, Peter, he was very familiar with suffering himself. And he also watched Jesus. Peter watched Jesus up and close for three years. And certainly there's no one better than Jesus who understands how to respond to adversaries and enemies. So Peter, got, he got a front row seat to the rigged trials and the cruel punishments that Jesus received, even though Jesus was completely innocent. And so Peter writes at the end of his letter, he says, Dear friends, this has been somewhat of a theme for us over the past few weeks, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. So here, here's the big idea. If you're being mistreated by somebody, don't be surprised. <laughs> that's, that's not unusual. That's common and normal. Especially if someone has targeted you and, and you, you are now the recipient of unjust treatment and suffering. So maybe, maybe take a minute and think, can you think of a time when someone has wronged you? Can you think of a time when someone has mistreated you in some way? Peter would say, hey, don't be surprised. That's normal. And it's, it's especially normal for followers of Jesus. We just might suffer physical harm and damage at the hands of other people, like Jesus did. But a lot of times, probably for most of us, it comes more, less physical harm. Maybe it's emotional damage or relational damage that we suffer more often in, in our context. And that's probably the case for many of you here. And so here, here, this is to kind of brainstorm in case you need some help jogging your ideas of where this might land home for you. Here's some sources of mistreatment that you might run into. Might be at work. Maybe you've got a boss or a coworker that's just harsh, mistreats you, singles you out. Uh, we really focused in detail on the, the employer and boss relationship last week. There's a section of 1 Peter that deals with that specifically. But you might also deal with it with your relatives. Maybe you have siblings. Maybe you've got parents or people in your extended family that mistreat you. Maybe, maybe they reject you because of your faith and they think it's just ridiculous, like you're a stupid Christian. Why would you, and they tell you this, why would you, why would you follow this? Why would you follow the Bible? Maybe they mock or ridicule you. Or 
um, in the category of family, maybe if you're a parent but your children are grown and your kids, your grown kids are now the, the cause of grief and they're perhaps ungrateful for what you did as a parent. And this is, this is really painful. This would be really painful for a parent who faithfully did good for many years, pouring themselves out for the good of their kids and then they're repaid with disrespect and apathy. Maybe some of the mistreatment or suffering comes from neighbors. Sometimes you wish you could pick different neighbors. And the only way to do that probably is by moving. <laughs> um, maybe purchases and deals. Maybe you made a deal or you bought something and then, man, you got ripped off. That really burns. You got mistreated. Or, or maybe the customer service rep doesn't treat you the way that you deserve to be treated. Or strangers. Maybe you get insulted by a complete stranger just out of nowhere. Government. Maybe you feel mistreated and pushed around by the laws that are being enforced or passed down in our country, in our nation, our government. We focused a whole message on this area because Peter writes about this in one section of his letter a few weeks ago. Um, another place you might get mistreated is online. I think the internet is a place where insults just tend to fly freely. People just say things and they don't even, they don't even care what they're saying. And they just, you're like, okay, well, I'll, tell me how you really feel. Oh, gee, you just let it all out there. Or, or here's another one, at home. You might even feel mistreated by people who live inside your own house. Perhaps your own spouse. And there's a, again, a special section in 1 Peter dedicated just to this, husbands and wives. And this is a very painful kind of suffering. So has anyone in any of these categories mistreated you? Who, who is the person that has caused you pain or suffering recently? Maybe it's somebody who just always has a reputation for stirring up conflict. They're just always starting fires. Or maybe, maybe you've been mistreated by someone, and it's like sometimes they're kind, and then sometimes they're adversarial, and you're like, man, I don't even know what I'm going to get. Like, who, what was it going to be today? I'm like, you're going to hit me or kiss me? I don't know. And so we run into this. Whenever you experience suffering at the hands of aggressive people, it puts us in a situation very similar to Jesus. God likes this. Is it, is it okay to say that God likes it when you suffer for at the hands of other people? God may allow you, or even plan for you, to receive unkind, unjust treatment from other people. Because you know what? God could prevent it from happening, but he doesn't. He allows it. And remember that Jesus was mistreated by all kinds of people. Both strangers, as complete strangers, would insult him. And then close friends. Judas was a friend, wasn't he? Judas ate meals together and did life side by side for three years. There was a close friendship, I think, that formed there. But then Judas turned from follower to betrayer. How do you think that feels? So who's the culprit in your life? Who's the person that's causing your pain and suffering? And, um, you know, if, if there is somebody, they're helping you to feel what Jesus felt. Doesn't that feel good? <laughs> no, don't you like that? No, no. You know, when we, when we suffer, when we're mistreated, especially when it's unjust, oh, what we, usually, we usually have a negative reaction. What's the natural reaction if someone attacks or insults you or if they push you? You push me? I'm going to push you back. Yeah, no, you're not. You can't. We rise to our own defense. I will not tolerate any mistreatment. Oh, no, you didn't. I will make sure that you do not do that again. I will use my words and my actions, whatever it takes, and you're going to stop that now. 
That's how we feel. It's called indignation. Our indignation turns to disrespect, and then we inflict our own damage. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that way of responding may feel natural, but it's the old way. You're not allowed to do that anymore. You cannot react anymore. Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. That kind of reactiveness, that's, that's the old ways. God does not permit us to react that way anymore. Payback is completely 100% off the table. We must be done with our old sinful ways of dealing with mistreatment. And here's why. Peter writes, says, you were called to this. So, whoa, wait a sec. You were called to suffering? You have, you have been called to suffer. That's not a verse a lot of people like to memorize. <laughs> you've, been called, you've been called to this. Okay, let's see what it says. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Every step he took in that Passion Week was probably a pretty painful one. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult back in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one he judges justly. If you take that in for a minute and you just think, Jesus was treated with such disrespect. Man, they spit on him. They, they pushed him. They mocked him. And despite all that mistreatment, he never took a swing at anybody. Now, keep in mind, Jesus, he wasn't a doormat. So maybe you'd be led to think like, oh, he just, was just supposed to let the whole world walk all over me. Jesus, he never agreed to the lies. They said all kinds of awful things. He never agreed to those things. And he never said that the injustice was okay. He was courageous, though. And when, when he, even when he was threatened with his own death, he still spoke the truth boldly. He was, tr he was truthful about who he was and about what he came to do. But he accepted the consequences. So he never insulted back. He, you know, when, when, they, when they treated him like this, he never said, man, you idiots, if you only knew who I was. Or, just, or he could have threatened them and said, like, you just wait. Just wait until after Sunday. <laughs> I'm going to get you. <laughs> You're going to get yours. He, you know, he could have threatened. He could have insulted back. You know, Jesus was getting swallowed up in a sea of injustice. And then he prayed for his accusers while he was on the cross. Man, that's, that's wild. And he stayed on the cross to die for us. So I can guarantee there's nobody in the room today who has received a greater injustice than Jesus did. Now, this is a really difficult example to follow, but we should be glad that Jesus did this because he earned our salvation. His suffering and mistreatment resulted in our salvation. It was necessary that he accepted his unjust suffering. So if you're feeling scorched and burned, and beaten up by people, if you're walking through your own fire of suffering at the hands of other people, what are you supposed to do about it? What do you, what do, you do? If we're not supposed to rise to our own defense any longer, what can we do? All right, you're not going to like the answer. What are you supposed to do? This is, in fact, this is probably one of the hardest things that Jesus taught. You came on a Sunday where you get to hear one of the hard, Jesus' hardest teachings. When you get mistreated, here's what he says. Bless the people who cause your suffering and overflow with good deeds. So I'm going to read a few verses. 
that state basically this. But before, before I do, before I read these verses, why don't you just go ahead and bring to mind a person or a few people that have caused you pain and suffering. Think of someone who has recently mistreated you, insulted you, or hurt you in any way. And now we think about this verse. First Peter 3, 8 through 9, it says, Finally, all of you, meaning all of you Christians, if you, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, not a hard heart, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this, again, here it says, you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So if you follow Jesus, you are called to bless the people who hurt you, the people who revile you. Reviling, that's maybe it's sort of an older word. We don't really use it, but reviling is when someone talks at you with scornful language, and they're, they're talking to you like you're worthless. Like, has, has anyone treated you that way? They just, like, talk down at you like you're nothing. It, you know, that, is, that does not feel good when people talk to you that way. But the command here is to bless those people. That means do kind things that will refresh the people that are insulting you. When Jesus lived, people reviled him with horribly insulting language. And his response was to bless them. And now he wants us to suffer the same way and bless those people as well. So anytime someone hurts you or accuses you or, or attacks your character, man, they're saying stuff about you and it's making you look bad and it's not true. It's not even true. They're, they're, they're slandering your character. Anytime that happens, you know, and it could range from a small offense, maybe you just get miffed or a really large scale attack on you. Either way, whatever, whatever, the, whatever the scale is, we may never, ever give payback. We may never get hard-hearted towards that person. We do the opposite. We are the people who bless our enemies. So according to these verses, first, the way that we got to do this, and this is really, this is hard, right? This, this really is one of the hardest things. First we do this, verse 8, if you, if you jump to the highlight there, we do this internally in our hearts. It says, have unity of mind, and then sympathy. These are almost like internal emotions or the way that we choose to feel about people. Sympathy. It's like compassion. Like, I'm going to see, I'm going to have compassion on that person who's just so evil. Brotherly love. A tender heart means you stay soft. You don't get all bitter and callous. You stay soft. And a humble mind. Humble mind means like, who am I that Jesus would save me? I'm, I got to take my right place in the world here. So that's, that's kind of the intern, we do this work internally. So imagine staying tender-hearted and sympathetic towards the person who's burning you. And, and as it turns out, this is a command. This is a scriptural command from God to us. This is really hard work internally. And it's really only possible when we remember the example of Jesus. If you were to consider the different types of burns, so we're talking about fire. Imagine a first degree, second, or third degree burns. Those are there's a range of damage and skin damage, and it goes deeper into your skin. If we keep our hearts tender towards our adversaries, I believe it prevents the really deep burns. If you stay soft towards people, you know, because they, they, maybe they really are trying to burn you, and maybe it works. Maybe they really do damage and scar you. But, it, you know, if we keep our hearts tender, it prevents that from happening. 
Here's a picture of a person holding flame with a glove that's resistant to fire. Wouldn't you rather have a heart that stays calm and tender rather than getting all worked up and carrying around bitterness and just, man, that bitterness that we feel towards our attackers, it just ends up burning more of my life away anyway. When I'm carrying around bitterness and I'm just going over those conversations in my head and I'm just reliving the pain, who does that help? That just burns me even more. So first we do this internal work in our hearts and then outwardly we do good works. We take proactive steps to bless them with our words, speak well of them, our money, whatever it takes, what, whatever resources we have, we do them good. And what, what Peter's saying here is people really ought to be stunned by our generosity and our love and our kindness in response to evil. They should be baffled and confused by our good deeds because people normally repay evil for evil. That's what everyone does, right? That's, that's what the world does. What weirdos repay good for evil? It doesn't make any sense. So whether it's a coworker or your spouse or a stranger or whoever it is, no matter what injury is inflicted on us, we bless. We return blessing for evil. This really hard teaching is it's why it fits well in this message series, Worst Case Scenarios. I mean, suffering, mistreatment, that's bad enough. But you want me to lovingly return a blessing. What could be harder than that? And I'll, I'll say this, believers, here, so here's the good side. I've told you how hard it is, and you probably are thinking about how hard this is. But this, here's a good side. Believers have good reason to endure blessing, or to endure mistreatment. If we, so, you know, the option that we want to do generally is to respond aggressively or violently or react or push back. If we do that, it accomplishes nothing. And our aggression is a betrayal of the commands of Jesus, who taught us to love our enemies. Jesus suffered first, and he's, he's watching to see if we'll walk his path. So here's, here's one reason why you ought to suffer and endure it. Is one is trials test your faith like gold. I love what the imagery Peter writes in the first chapter. He says, you rejoice in this, this kind of suffering, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith. Okay, so now he's talking about your faith. Do you really trust God? Do you believe in God? Do you believe God is good and true and right? So your faith, here's what he's talking about. That faith that you have in God is more valuable than gold. And gold is perishable. It's, it's, it's refined by the fire. So in the same way, these sufferings that you go through, they refine your faith, your trust, and your confidence in, in God. And it says, your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So gold is put through fire to test its purity. The fire reveals any impurities and all those things that are not, not anything that is not gold, they get burned away. So God lets us, maybe plans for us, and decides for us to go through suffering so that our faith gets tested. Because we, we have a tendency to trust in other things and I feel good and I trust God when things are going well and I trust God when my relationships are clear and things are easy and there's good circumstances. But actually this fire that we're walking through, it burns away our trust in anything else until only we're trusting in God. So if you endure the fire and you persevere, your pure faith is of far greater value than the most expensive gold. God cares a lot about that. Another reason to endure blessing is that 
God blesses us when we endure suffering. I love, there, there's actually a reward in it. First Peter says, when you, when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, so you have to endure it. It's not okay just to suffer. You have to actually endure it with faith. If you endure it, this brings favor with God. You were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. Earlier, Jesus, when he, when he spoke on this very thing about doing good to your, the evildoers, he says, there will be, your reward in heaven will be very great. I believe God will reward every wrong endured. Have you endured some wrongs? Have you trusted God? He has noticed. He has watched that, and he will reward that. It's not, and not even just like a pat on the head, a hey, good job. No, there's, there's going to be a blessing for you as you endure. If we do this really strange, countercultural, weird, difficult thing, God promises to bless us. We can be sure that he will take care of us in the end. If you want his favor, if you want his help and his blessing, this is the way. There's one more reason that um, it's really good for us to endure suffering. And this is actually a really, really big one. This is a big one in, in, in the letter to 1 Peter. And is that unbelievers might be won over. When we return good for evil, it can be very surprising. Like, it just shocks people. Like, who does that? Who would bless? I slapped you and then you gave me a cookie. Like, who does that? Who does that? Causing, if people, if people see this happen, they become more open to considering Jesus. Like, man. That person? Man, I can't knock that person down. Like I strike them and then they're still upbeat. They're still hopeful. They're still cheerful. They still do good to people. How is that even possible that a person would do that? So in this way, the persecution and the suffering in our lives becomes a kind of gift. Dare I say it's a gift that we suffer because it offers us a chance to show the surprising generosity and love of Jesus, which is fueled by the hope of his return. Peter writes this in chapter 3, Even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. He's saying, if you keep doing good, people are going to ask you about your faith. They're like, how do you have so much hope? Where do you even get that from? But he says, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against you, against your good behavior in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. Like, man, I talk bad about that person, but there's, I got no dirt. I can't even say anything bad about this person. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to be in that situation where people, they're like, they're trying to incriminate you, but there's no dirt because you keep doing good. You never retaliate. You never punch back. You do good. Again, what we want to do is we want to rise to our own defense. This is why I think, you know, Peter writes, you know, gentleness and respect. Let that guide you because we want to react. But if we do react and we fight back, we, we just end up dropping respect. Respect goes out the window. Gentleness, forget that. I, I lost that a mile ago. And then, and then we react and then we forfeit our chance to help lead someone to Christ. But if these unbelievers who don't know God and don't know the gospel, if they are won over by our love, they just might become Christians. And if they do, they will enjoy God's glory with us forever. The accuser, the attacker, the betrayer becomes a brother or a sister in Christ. 
wouldn't that be an amazing transition? So that actually places our suffering in a brand new story. None of us like to suffer. None of us like to be mistreated. But all of a sudden, man, maybe, maybe I can look at this from a different angle. Now my suffering becomes a witness to Jesus, not something to be avoided. And we usually we want to get out of that suffering as fast as possible. But now, if this is true, dare I say suffering should be welcome, accepted. Jesus suffered and he brought salvation to the world. When we suffer, we bear witness to God's mercy in the world. And it is so powerful. So does anyone ever ask about your hope? Like it says in this, you know, it says, be prepared for everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Does everyone, does, has everyone ever said to you like, man, how are you walking through that fire and you still have hope? Has anyone ever asked you? Do you exude a hopeful attitude in difficult times? Will there be anyone in heaven because of you? Will there be people there that saw your good deeds, they came to Christ, and now they're in heaven because of watching your life? Is there anyone who watches you endure suffering, and then now they're just so curious, how does that person have hope? There was a, a time recently this, God used this study in First Peter to, to convict me because I was, um, I bought a fridge used on, uh, I think it was OfferUp or Facebook or something like that, and um, a, a friend from church went to go get it with me, and so we go to get the fridge. The, the people weren't there. They already moved out. The only thing left in the apartment was the fridge, but the, the situation wasn't what I thought it was going to be, so it was a lot harder to get this fridge than I, than I wanted. So the, it, was, it was hooked up to the water line still and plugged in and everything. We get all that undone, and then we bring it out to the stairs. So it's a second-story, by the way, apartment. Second-story apartment. And the, uh, the stairway was like this, like this wide. <laughs> and so we're like getting it, we're like, oh, man. I'm like, I don't even know if I want this fridge anymore. <laughs> like, so like we get there, and then we take the doors. We gotta, like, we got to take the doors off. So we had, we had to go home and get some tools, get the doors off. And then um, I'm like, all right, let's do this. Well, then I realized the doors, they weren't, it wasn't coming off the right way, so I had to put the doors back on, take some other pieces off. Turn to the, we finally get it down the stairs and um, get it loaded in the truck. And uh, when I got home, there was, I plugged it in, plugged it in the water line, it started leaking on the floor. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. So what happened though, the situation, so it was not what I thought it was, and I was starting to feel like frustrated and ripped off, like that this was a lot harder than I wanted it to be, than I thought it would be. And so... I didn't, so normally if you buy something used, you show up and then you pay them cash or whatever and you take the thing. But since they weren't there, I didn't pay them right away because we were loading it. And the person texted like, hey, can you Venmo me the payment? And like, this is in good faith that you would pay me. And um, I was thinking like, well, I want to see what else is wrong with the fridge before I pay you any money. And I was withholding um, through, the, through to the end of the night, I was just withholding payment. And um, the person was getting really frustrated that I was doing that, and they thought they were, basically I was going away with the fridge without paying them. And I felt justified, like this is not what I thought it was gonna be, I'm feeling a little ripped off, maybe I'm, this is a broken fridge, I just wasted like a whole Sunday, is how I felt. Um, actually that Sunday I preached a message on like, even if you do things that don't make sense, you're not wasting your time, like your labor is not in vain. I don't know if you remember that message. The whole time I'm like doing that fridge down the stairs, like your labor is not in vain. <laughs> so anyways, so I, I like, so like, well, since, because of all these problems, you know, how about I, 
pay you less. Like, you know, I wanted to pay less. And they're like, no, this, she said, no, this is the price. This is what it is. And I was like, man, like you won't even lower the price. And so anyways, I ended up at the end of the night, I paid, um, I ended up paying a lower price. She did finally agree to that, but she was really frustrated. I could see on the text messages. And um, so I'm like, all right, we got this fridge and we got it fixed and I got new hoses and stuff like that. And the next day I was, I was reading from first Peter and I was thinking about these ideas about um, when I feel wronged or things are unjust and that we really, people really ought to see our surprising love and generosity in the face of difficulty. And I'm like, man, geez, this is a rough time to be reading First Peter. And I, the Lord convicted me, like, I, I actually thought in, in this situation, I felt that it was wrong for me to withhold payment because it is customary and normal that when you receive the good, you pay promptly. Even if it's, if it's used, it's my own fault. Maybe when you buy something used, you take the risk on yourself that maybe you've got a broken item. That's why stuff that's used is cheaper. So convention says I should have just paid promptly, and it caused a lot of distress to this person. So I, I felt convicted. I said, man, what if, I'm like, what if this person, like, somehow sees our signs and, like, oh, I'll go to church today, and, they, and she shows up, and I'm the pastor. <laughs> the person would be like, man, that pastor is the jerk who didn't pay me my money. And I thought, that, I can't have that. This, is, this would be the opposite of what is being said in this letter. So I said, I need, to, I need to make this right. Like, what do I do? And so I, uh, I ended up Venmoing $100 more to the person. And I said, which the, the communication had already ended, so she wasn't expecting any, but anything. So it was like two days later, I had Venmoed another $100, and I said, hey, which was more than the original agreed price. So like, I just need to go above and beyond. And I just said, look, hey, um, it was wrong for me to withhold payment. I'm sorry for any distress that caused you. Here's some extra money. Thanks for the fridge. And uh, she responded later, and she said, you don't know how much that helps and that means. It was moving out of that apartment for me and my daughter. has been a really rough year, and I appreciate that. Thank you. And I said, no problem. I hope it's great in the new house. And um, so I, I, felt, I felt by that time I had I'd caught, paid a bigger cost than I wanted to, but to do what's being said here. And I really was worried about my, I was like, what is, it, what is it worth? Is a fridge or a few dollars worth my reputation or really just worth the chance to show, point people to the love of Jesus? I really felt convicted when I thought everyone in this city ought to be surprised, just baffled by, by the love and generosity that we all have. And so I was like, I need, to, I need to go to the extra mile on this. So as you think about this area and you think about those people that do you wrong, Here's some next steps that might be helpful for you today. One might be to begin following Jesus for the very first time. Because maybe you've realized Jesus is the one who accepted suffering so that I may be blessed, that I may find salvation. And if you want more information about that, about how to do that, mark that on your card. There's a spot on your connection card where we can like, show you how, how do you begin walking with Jesus and walking these really difficult steps. Another, another next step might be in your suffering, entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. There's a verse on your handout. It's 1 Peter 2.23. You might even memorize this verse. It says about Jesus that when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. There's a lot of hope and confidence we get from knowing that even though I'm being mistreated, I know that God is going to, in the end, judge on my behalf. And then the third thing, Maybe the hardest thing, 
is to find ways to do good to your adversaries. And we're going to have to really push ourselves on this one. This is really hard to do. Our lives should be marked by the kind of good deeds that surprise people. And I'm going to end, I'm going to end with one more idea. There's a thought that may have crossed your mind during this message. And it may be this. It feels like they're going to get away with it. If I don't retaliate or if I don't make this thing right, they're going to get away with the bad stuff that they've done. Justice will not be done. If I, if I just return good, like, they're going to get away with it. The thought, that thought is a huge obstacle to us returning good for evil. Man, how could I, how could I just, man, how could I just leave it and let them get away with it? Well, look at what Jesus says about this. In Romans 12, 19, it says, Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. When you feel like you want to repay them, just leave it. <sighs> leave it. Leave it to the repayment of the wrath of God. Justice will always be done. We don't have to do it. We don't have to make sure justice is served. God, God will do it. And you can, you can do the returning good for evil and just let God take care of it. And you know what? If they, don't, if they never repent, if that evil-doing person never repents, they will get their judgment. But if they do repent, they'll be saved. Christ died for them. That person that treats you wrong, Jesus died for them. He even died for the very sin that they've committed against you. Our hope is not in them getting their just desserts right now. Our hope is in our future vindication. At the last day, God will right all the wrongs. There is such a strong urge for us to right the wrongs for ourselves right now, but it's, it's not our job. We wait for him to vindicate us, and while we wait, we do proactive good, and we bless people. I do want to mention, um, we're going to sing a couple songs in a minute, and uh, when we do, the, the next song is one that really relates to this passage. It's, it's sort of a newer song, and so I'll, when we get there in, in just a moment, I'll encourage you to really think about the lyrics there. Um, but I also want to make a, let you know about what's happening next Sunday. We're going to start a new message series, and it's just simply called, Why God? And a few things that we're going to be looking at is, why is God letting bad things happen to me? Why is God not answering my prayers? And why is God letting our nation change? Maybe you see things happening in our country that you don't like, and you're like, God, God why is this even happening? There's a lot of questions that we tend to have for God, and so we're going to look at some of these difficult questions starting next week. And so I hope that today was helpful for you. Maybe it'll be a little challenging, difficult. We're, um, you, can, you can breathe a sigh of relief because we're, we're leaving First Peter. <laughs> There's been a lot, of, a lot of hard commands in this letter. Uh, but we'll be moving on, and so I hope you join us next week. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to die for us. And Jesus, we thank you for that incredible, mind-boggling example that you suffered and you, and you accepted it and you allowed it while you trusted the Father. And thank you that you promised blessing for us when we do that and we follow in your steps. Give us the grace and the courage and the ability 
to go ahead and take those painful steps in your example. Help us to endure. We, need, we, are, we are in a need of endurance. Would you give that to us as well? An encouragement as we follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.